You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour on Uterine Biofilms with Dr. Peyton Dreheim. I'm your host, Carly Sisson, Digital Editor of EquiManagement. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2024 by Merck Animal Health. Dr. Peyton Dreheim was born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina. She earned her Bachelor of Science degree from Clemson University in 2015 and graduated from Lincoln Memorial University's College of Veterinary Medicine in 2019. She then completed a year-long internship with Red and Riddle Equine Hospital in Wellington, Florida, before moving to Alabama to complete her theriogenology residency with an equine emphasis at Auburn University's College of Veterinary Medicine. During this time, she participated in multiple research projects involving advanced reproductive techniques in mares and earned her Master's of Science degree. She also became a diplomat of the American College of Theriogenologists. In her spare time, she enjoys riding American saddlebreds, reading, and spending time outdoors. Thank you, Dr. Dreheim, for joining us on this episode of Disease Du Jour. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. So why don't you get us started by explaining what exactly a uterine biofilm is? So a biofilm is basically an aggregate of bacteria as well as an extracellular polymeric substance or EPS. And this combination is adhered to a surface. These bacteria that are within the biofilm are protected from the host immune system through a few different ways. One being that the body's white blood cells and antibodies that it produces can't effectively penetrate that thick layer of the EPS. It also provides a barrier to the diffusion of antibiotics. So even if antibiotics are in the area and touching the surface of the biofilm, they really can't kind of crack through that thick barrier provided by the EPS. So those bacteria within the deeper layers are sheltered. And then those bacteria that are present within a biofilm also have a decreased metabolic rate as well as a decreased replication rate. And antibiotics work best against those rapidly multiplying, very active bacteria. So by having those decreased metabolic and replication rates within the biofilm, even if antibiotics were able to access those bacteria, they wouldn't work very well because those bacteria are almost in like a dormant state. It's also thought in human medicine, taking a step away from veterinary medicine for a second, it's estimated that somewhere around 65% of nosocomial infections are actually associated with a bacterial biofilm. And these biofilms are also ubiquitous within the environment. They're a very uh, natural part of what we deal with. It's actually estimated that in nature, about 99% of bacteria can be found to exist within a biofilm matrix. So these are ubiquitous things um, that we should expect to encounter, um, and we're trying to work on getting some more uh, weapons in our arsenal, if you will, to combat these biofilms as we encounter them in our mares. So how do these uterine biofilms impact mares' fertility? So the most common cause of subfertility in the mare is endometritis, or an inflammation of that innermost lining of the uterus. It's most commonly caused by bacteria, and there's kind of a big four bacteria that we think of when we think of endometritis in the mare, um, and those are Streptococcus equi subspecies zooepidemicus, E. coli, Klebsiella pneumoniae, and Pseudomonas aeruginosa. And of those four main bacteria, three of them are gram-negative, and gram-negative bacteria are those that are really known to form biofilms and the main ones that we think of when we think of biofilms. And those three would be E. coli, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, and Klebsiella pneumoniae. 
Um, it is thought, and it's been shown in some papers, that streptococcus can also form a biofilm, um, but we, we kind of lean towards those gram negatives when we're thinking of dealing with a biofilm, particularly within the uterus. And again, since the bacteria that are within those biofilms are protected from the immune system of the host, as well as from antimicrobial penetration, these endometritis cases that are related to a biofilm with those big three gram-negative organisms we just talked about, those can be resistant to your standard endometritis treatment. And so as a result of that kind of chronic, ongoing, persistent uterine inflammation, mares that are affected by these biofilm endometritis cases will likely have a difficult time either conceiving a pregnancy or maybe they can get pregnant, but they lose the pregnancy at some point. So just having that chronic state of inflammation and infection within the uterus makes it a pretty inhospitable environment for an embryo. So I know you just touched a little bit um, difficulty getting pregnant, losing a pregnancy, but are there any other situations that might make you suspicious that a uterine biofilm is present? Yeah, so those are kind of the main red flags when I'm meeting a mare for the first time, a problem mare, um, is that if she has proven to be difficult to get pregnant or she suffered kind of repeated pregnancy losses, she may have a uterine biofilm going on. And of course, there could be an entire discussion on each individual potential cause of subfertility and pregnancy loss in the mare. There's a plethora of potential causes that could be going on there. But again, since bacterial endometritis is the most commonly seen of all of these causes, Causes. Common things happen commonly, right? So it's always good to kind of start at that point and assess that mare from an endometritis potential biofilm standpoint to start because most often that's going to at least be part of the puzzle that will definitely need to be addressed before uh, we can have a successful outcome. Today's Disease to Jour podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. Merck Animal Health believes that if we all do right by the horse, we'll never do wrong. That's why they're driven by an unconditional commitment to the horse and to the veterinarians and communities who support them. From infectious disease tracking through the Equine Respiratory Biosurveillance Program, to building a sustainable profession through the Veterinary Wellbeing Study, to creating equine health products with the highest level of safety and efficacy, Merck Animal Health is unconditional. It's just who they are. Learn more at MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com. So how would you go about diagnosing a biofilm in a mare? So in addition to kind of a suspicious history, like I just talked about, um, those repeated pregnancy losses, difficulty getting pregnant, a recurrent endometritis type mare, there are also some certain clinical findings that also make me a bit suspicious of a uterine biofilm. So if I do a uterine culture on a mare and she has growth of any of those three gram-negative organisms I mentioned, um, so your E. coli's, Pseudomonas aeruginosa and Klebsiella pneumoniae. If she's got growth of any of those and she's got a history of that chronic or recurrent endometritis that just won't go away, that really kind of perks my ears up and makes me suspicious that she's got a biofilm going on, especially thinking back to how difficult these biofilms can be to treat with how protected those bacteria are within the deeper layers of the biofilm. If you've got a mare that persistently cultures, let's say something like an E. coli, and we do our culture and our sensitivity on it. And it shows that the E. coli that she's growing is very sensitive to something like polymyxid B. So we go ahead and we treat that mare with polymyxin B infusions on the uterus. We lavage her and she continually has this growth on subsequent cultures. The fact that you are treating that bacteria with something that it has shown to be sensitive to um, in vitro and she's still not responding to treatment, then that tells me that there is 
something else going on in there because there has to be some sort of reason that this treatment that the bacteria itself is telling us would work in vitro um, is not working in vivo. And a biofilm is, is a pretty common cause of a treatment protocol that should be working, not working in a certain case. I think it's also important when working up these cases to really assess how you're doing these diagnostics. So I think with potential biofilm mares, again, these mares that are chronically dirty, recurrently dirty, having trouble getting bred, uh, it's important to culture them with a low-volume lavage to sample their uterus um, as opposed to something like a double-guarded swab. And the main reason for that is if you picture the inner lining of the uterus, it's quite a large surface area. So if we're using something like a sterile swab to get our sample, we're sampling a very, very small portion of the whole lining of that uterus. And if a mare has a biofilm, even if she doesn't necessarily have a biofilm, if she's just got recurrent infections, that doesn't always mean that the entirety of the endometrium is um, affected by whatever this infection is. She could be harboring organisms up at the tip of one of her uterine horns, and you're just not going to reach that spot with a swab. So I do think it's important with these problem mares to do a low volume uterine lavage and get your culture and cytology samples from that so that you feel better about really contacting as much of the surface area as possible and getting a, a better idea of what's going on in there. And when it comes to examining these mares via transrectal ultrasound, sometimes you can't really see much of anything and she'll be dirty. Um, sometimes she'll have a lot of fluid. I know thinking of learning about endometritis back in school, you picture that profound endometrial edema and just a, a pool of fluid within the uterus itself. She may have that. Some mares that are recurrently dirty and have been treated before, so they don't have any fluid within their uterus, but you might see some areas as you're scanning and you see those cross-section views of the uterus along those endometrial folds. You can just see some hyperechoic regions. And of course, that could be air or debris, um, but oftentimes it also signifies that there is a, a layer of mucus present against the endometrium. And that mucus layer can be associated with the presence of a biofilm. It's just another kind of physical structure acting to protect bacteria from our diagnostics and our treatment. So I think most of the diagnostics comes from knowing the mare and her history, having an idea of what all has been done previously, as well as doing your own examination, looking at her uterus on ultrasound, um, taking the appropriate samples. There is also a biofilm assay that's available at some clinics and laboratories across the country. And what they do in those is they'll do a culture and then they'll take a sample of the bacterial isolates that are grown within that culture from that mare. And then they analyze those isolates for sensitivity to some different anti-biofilm agents. So then those in vitro results can kind of guide your treatment plan, um, not only as far as antimicrobial selection itself from the sensitivity, but also uh, trying to choose an agent that's going to help dissolve and penetrate that biofilm to make your antibiotics actually have an effect. Let's move into talking about how you treat biofilms. The problem with these things is that they're notoriously difficult to treat. So how would you go about working with a mare that had this issue? Yeah, so there's kind of a few mainstays of treatment um, for endometritis in general. We think of doing something like a lavage to physically help clear that uterus of any fluid or debris that's within there, um, helping her clear her uterus of fluid with administration of something like an egg bolic, such as oxytocin or prostaglandin. 
And then, of course, the use of antibiotics um, systemically and or locally, depending on each individual case. But again, like we were talking about earlier, antibiotics really only work against those really active bacteria that are in a free-floating or a planktonic state. So again, those bacteria that are associated with the biofilm um, are generally going to evade both the host's natural immune system as well as any treatment we're putting in there with it. It's also been shown in one study done by Dr. Ferris that physically trying to use fluid to debride the biofilm, if you will, off of the endometrium itself doesn't work. Um, These bacteria, these biofilms are just really hardy, really tightly adhered to that tissue. So even pressurized um, fluid application, like they discussed in that paper, was not enough to really remove that biofilm. So for those reasons, in addition to using an appropriate antimicrobial, um, we also need to use some sort of a biofilm disrupting agent to give your antimicrobials an opportunity to actually work. So some common choices would be N-acetylcysteine, hydrogen peroxide, and Tris-EDTA. So acetylcysteine is a mucolytic um, that's been used for many purposes in veterinary medicine, but it's used within the uterus to both prevent and disrupt biofilms. So it gets in there and breaks down those bonds within the mucus layer itself and essentially kind of punches holes in it, um, melts it away, and just exposes those bacteria. Acetylcysteine is a good choice for your pseudomonas um, endometritis cases because not only can it disrupt the biofilm and the mucus layer, it's also been shown to be effective in killing pseudomonas aeruginosa bacteria. Hydrogen peroxide is a good choice for disrupting a preformed biofilm. Um, So this is one that I reach for commonly when I'm trying to treat a case that I'm suspicious of having a biofilm in her uterus. It's a good choice for your E. coli or your Klebsiella pneumoniae endometritis cases. Um, Not a great choice for Pseudomonas just because that bacteria produces a catalase enzyme that will actually inactivate your hydrogen peroxide. Um, So generally speaking, hydrogen peroxide isn't going to be effective against a specific pseudomonas biofilm, um, but is a great choice for E. coli or Klebsiella. And then Tris-EDTA is a chelating agent, and it exerts its effects by disrupting the outer cell wall membranes of gram-negative bacteria. So any of these three are good choices, not only for incorporating into your treatment plan when you're trying to get rid of this biofilm, but you can also use them to aid in your diagnosis of the biofilm. So an example I usually give people is if you've got a problem there that you're working up, again, she's a repeat pregnancy loss mare, she has recurrent endometritis, just can't get her clean. If I culture her, just a regular sterile um, LRS culture, and it comes back clean, but then I infuse something like acetylcysteine or dilute hydrogen peroxide and culture her one day after that infusion. If she then has bacterial growth on that culture, but not the original culture, then that's pretty much screaming at you that she's got some sort of mucus layer or biofilm situation going on in there because those bacteria weren't seen are on our original culture. But once we infused one of those anti-biofilm agents in there, that kind of stirred things up a bit and we were able to see those bacteria on a subsequent culture. And in those cases, I think it's important to continue using that antibiofilm agent in your treatment protocol since it's already kind of tipped its hand and shows that it can be effective in that specific case since it led to a different culture result after its use. So how would you treat 
a mare differently around the time of breeding if she's had a biofilm compared to a mare who hasn't had a biofilm? So thinking back to kind of that each individual case that we're looking at, um, if a mare has been shown to be the problem mare that has a biofilm or we're suspicious of a biofilm, something is going on within her that we need to address, right? The the biofilm itself, yes, it's a problem, but how did it get there is something I also want to think about. Um, So is she a mare that looks like she may be battling some sort of endocrine or metabolic disturbance that needs to be addressed to improve her overall fertility and immune function? Does she have a baggy, saggy uterus because she's an older mare and she has trouble clearing fluid? Um, So these are all things to be thinking about while you're managing these cases. She needs to be monitored pretty closely both before and after breeding for any abnormal endometrial inflammation or uterine fluid accumulation. I'm generally more forgiving of her having some free uterine fluid before breeding than after breeding, um, because as that endometrial edema builds and then begins to wane right around the time of ovulation, that fluid has to go somewhere and some of it will kind of leach out of the endometrium within to the uterine lumen. So as long as the fluid doesn't look particularly debris filled or flocculent on ultrasound and there's not an excessive amount of it. Um, I generally don't get too excited about just a bit of fluid pre-breeding in my normal mares. So in these problem mares, any amount of fluid I'm going to consider abnormal and um, really try to help her out with getting rid of that fluid. So Things such as a post-breeding lavage, um, generally done between four to six hours post-breeding or post-insemination. Again, with these these biofilm suspect mares, I'm going to stick closer to that four-hour mark than six hours just to really try to get in there um, and be aggressive about removing any of those inflammatory agents from the breeding. Um, I like to use ecbolic therapy. So again, something like oxytocin, prostaglandin, depending on how close we are to ovulation, Exercise is actually very effective at uterine fluid clearance. So turning them out in a round pen, um, hand walking if that's your only option, lunging them for 10 minutes or so, anything like that, just getting them moving is really going to help them um, contract that uterus down and clear fluid. Something like acupuncture can also help a lot with uterine tone and fluid clearance. And then local and or systemic use, depending on the case of either antimicrobials, as indicated by sensitivity results, or anti-inflammatories to just help her uterus kind of calm down, you know, have the appropriate inflammatory response post-breeding that we want them to have to, to clear that debris, but to kind of halt that inflammation from going on any further than we need it to. These types of mares also may benefit from the addition of something like a probiotic to their diet just to aid in kind of overall microbiota equilibrium, because we want to, you know, target our treatment to the uterus itself, get rid of that biofilm, clean her uterus up. Um, But then we also want to make sure that the mare as a whole is healthy and everything is, is working as it should so that we can ultimately get her to become pregnant and stay pregnant. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Dreheim, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour. I really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with us. Thank you so much to our audience for listening and a special thank you to our sponsor, Merck Animal Health, who gives us the opportunity to have these conversations. If you have any questions or suggestions for disease du jour, you can send me an email at ccisson at equinenetwork.com. That's C-S-I-S-S-O-N at equinenetwork.com. Network.com.